I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wheelhouse DNA. Hi, everyone. My name is Boya Koloday. And I'm Chris Sattel. And welcome to The Future Forecast, a podcast where we explore the intersection between business, technology, and entertainment. If you don't know me, I'm the co-founder and president of The Future Party, which is a community-based media company for creative professionals. We have a daily newsletter where we talk about culture and technology, and we host a ton of different community events around the country. And I'm the co-founder and CEO of Crosscheck Studios, a Gen Z media company by Gen Z for Gen Z. At The Future Party, we are so proud of the business and the community we've built, so we had the idea to create this show to dissect and explain some of our most interesting stories. Today, we're looking ahead. We're going to talk about Walmart's plans for AI, how millennials became the side hustle generation, and how Nike doesn't actually want you to buy their shoes. But first, let's catch up. Let's do it. So Sundance, are you excited? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited. Have you been before? Uh, I have once, like four years ago, five years ago. Four years ago would literally be COVID. The year before COVID. Year. That was a good year, actually. Yeah. Well, you're like the I, I don't you're like the mayor of COVID. I was like <laughs> the mayor. <laughs> you're the mayor of COVID. You're the mayor of Sundance. Is that why you brought it up? Like you like just are throwing all the parties. You and Paul just parading around together. For those that are not aware, Paul, uh, uh, co-captain of the Future Party. Is that a fair way? To, I don't know how you guys describe. You know, co-founder. Co-founder. Uh, Co-captain, yeah. you have a NASA jacket on right now. I feel like you're very much like a captain of a, of a spaceship. Okay. Is where I'm going with that. I feel like you guys are like running da- around Sundance all the time, or like all the festivals, and just throwing either all the parties or knowing all the parties. This is true, but it's not why I brought it up. You're going, and I think it'll just genuinely be fun to hang out and be out there in yeah. the in the snow. What's your agenda there this weekend? What is what is my agenda? Top of the year, canoodling and rubbing elbows with all of our friends that are part of the business. We also, little little promo push, I don't mean to say, uh, we have our sketch comedy show, Read the Room, coming out next Tuesday. Nice. So it's just kind of a way to be out in the ether, seeing what, coming off of the strike, seeing what, what's been made yeah. and, and what the buzz will be and what will set the tone for this yeah. year. I'm actually genuinely excited to go because I haven't gone since before COVID as well. And then I think the following year it got canceled because there was yeah. like a COVID scare. And uh, last year, I believe, was a little light. And so post-COVID, post-strikes, I feel like the energy is going to be really high and really vibey. So it should be a good weekend all around. Why don't we talk about our first topic? Let's do it. All right. Walmart and AI. Walmart is <laughs> upping. <laughs> What's so funny? I just think of Walmart and AI. And not to say that I th- Walmart is the, always the idea of like, let me give you a great deal. Let's make it cost effective. Yeah. And when I think of cost effective AI, I don't really know if that's something that I want. I don't really know if I want you to skimp on my AI, my AI technology. I, I want the best <laughs> of the best of the best, right? Yeah. Well, 
let's see what they're doing and, and we can determine if, if you still feel the same way. So Walmart is upping its tech capabilities with a generative AI feature in its in-home app that will automatically order and replenish groceries right to your fridge. Really awesome. I'm, I'm stoked to talk about this. But the intention is that the AI will automatically order your groceries, which are then given to a delivery person who has access to the user's home and can drop off the order directly to their fridge. That part's a little creepy. I think this is really unique. I feel like we're like moving into the Jetsons future a little bit. Where do you stand on AI holding, you know, control over your purchases? What does it say for your bank account? Does it have access to it? Do you have a, is there a button that, an approval button or a pre-approved price limit set upon it? Well, I think there are ways where the AI itself doesn't have to have access but honestly the more i think about it it could already have access to multiple purchases we have our credit cards in amazon in these different websites and i think for something like this the ai doesn't necessarily need to have the payment information to work it just needs to tell the payment processor that this is ready to be purchased if that makes sense so i'm not necessarily as worried about AI somehow having access to my information because, you know, in in some instances, I might actually trust a computer more than I do a human being. But I think it's going to be interesting to trust AI to essentially be your nutritionist, right? But where does it start and stop? I think I think where I have reservations is I love the idea, but I still would want an email or a text review of, hey, Chris. We did an inventory review and here's what's missing. Here's what we want to order. Are we okay to purchase? Like I want that type of, that to me makes sense of AI saying, hey, good to go. Hit the green button. I, I have a feeling that's likely what, what would happen. And I actually think what's cool is the AI can not just talk to your fridge, but maybe it's connected to your health app as well. So maybe you just had a strenuous workout or you're not sleeping well or you're gaining weight. Your fridge is now like, hey, I think you need some carrots. <laughs> Would you like to order some carrots? And you're like, yeah, I guess. By the way, that's a PR nightmare. I could see it coming out. Walmart AI fat shames customer. And now it's open to a lawsuit. Speaking of AI, what would you want your AI voice to be? Like your AI's voice. So if we're doing smart home are you Scarlett Johansson type vibes? Mm. Are you like, I don't, are you doing going a little bit more charactery and finding like, I don't know. I would either like a Scarlett Johansson just because I've heard her voice in the movie Her and it sounds great. Or. Watch out, Ashley. Watch out, <laughs> Ashley. Or I feel like some British butler. Like, boye, boye, would you like to order some carrots? <laughs> all the Brits that listen like, to this podcast are like shame shame on you immediately yeah maybe I shouldn't have done that anyway so here's some more information on this Walmart AI uh, the AI will also have a search engine where you can ask questions like what do I need for a Super Bowl party and the products will be accumulated for you the AI will be trained by Walmart's overall knowledge of people shopping as well as their user habits but keeping tabs on food consumption is hard So the success of the tech remains to be seen. Currently, shoppers who are paying for the $20 per month in-home membership already get what Walmart calls seamless drop-off, but they still have to select the items. How do you feel about the price point? 
uh, twenty dollars a month. I think that's fine. Honestly, I want to try this. I think it's cool. I want to get an AI fridge. <laughs> you don't seem to want one. I, I just a Walmart <laughs> AI is scary to me. I'm not. I'm not going to lie about it. I'm not. Uh, I feel like I would rather an Apple. I, I I just I just trust Tim Cook. I just think well, I want I want an I want an Apple fridge. So here's here's the thing though. I think a lot of people might sympathize maybe more with myself and a couple of reasons. One, I've actually seen in our own home. So we actually do a lot of Instacart shopping. That's how we get most of our groceries. Okay. And it's a it's time consuming. You know, it's time consuming to think about, okay, yeah. what should we order this week and then order it. And even the act of them coming to your door and you not needing to go into the grocery store, just the act of ordering takes time. So I think it's going to be awesome because it shaves a lot of time off for you. Another thing. Um, and decision-making. And decision-making. And I'm glad you said that. So one sort of mantra that two major tech overlords have, one being Steve Jobs and Mark Zuckerberg, they, they've been known to wear the same thing every day or, or for a period of their lives wear the same things. And, and I'm paraphrasing, but a big reason why they had said that and done that is because it takes away the need to make decisions on things that are so small. And they need that brain power to make decisions on their businesses, on their, their personal lives, like all of these things that are so much more important. And I feel not having to make decisions on your food is another element that can actually really help. So I could see people really flocking to this. And then kind of what I was saying earlier uh, about your health right now, this is like a personal trainer being like, Hey, like you should eat these foods. You're low on this. Try this this week. You know, I think it's just going to be like really fascinating. Chris, I have a question for you. Uh, please. Cause, ears. Cause I love food. You love food. I'm sure our listeners love food. Does automating what you put in your fridge take away a little bit of, well, should we say, the spice of life, right? People love food. They love curating food. They love searching for food. It's, it's what brings people communally together. Mm. And if we are taking away that choice, that decision, do our lives become less interesting? Do we still find enjoyment? This is something that I've actually... It's a really great question because it is something that I've been asking myself, especially at the start of January and part of my journey and my goals. And Max, my fiance, and I have both also been talking about it. In our work, especially with, we talked about, we talked at the top of the podcast, parties. A lot of our work is commiserating over food. And I think that over time, we all can find deep pleasure in what we're consuming or it is a blessing and a curse or an enjoyable thing. I think that, I don't think you can lack enjoyment. I think that it changes your relationship with your consumption or changes your relationship with food. I will say like on my current food journey, I'm not enjoying the things that I used to enjoy for sure. And I now look at it a little bit more robotically yeah. and that can be sad. But I think that it depends on what you're gate looking towards. Yeah. Right? I, I actually think, like, if I were to apply that question specifically to the AI fridge, I think it's going to depend on the relationship with that AI, right? And maybe there's settings. Maybe there's just like, hey, I don't care. Just tell me what to eat. But there might be an aspect of it which you can give it a little bit more input. Yeah. Like, I'm having a dinner party or like that Super Bowl example, and I want wings. I want 
this, I want that, but feel free to spice it up, you know, or, or give it a, a Hispanic flavor or, you know, a New Orleans flavor or something like that. And I think in that aspect, it could actually empower how people might look at food in their home. If it's able to create surprise or the element of surprise and, and bring new options to the table, I think that that's interesting for sure. Uh, the only thing that's missing is robotic chefs, but that's another conversation for another time. So AI fridges coming to a kitchen near you. We should talk about the next topic, the millennial side hustle. So we've talked a lot about Gen Z and, and millennials and all that jazz on the show. And the side hustle, I think, is actually something that has come up time and time again in our culture. So there's an assumption, and this assumption is that Gen Z is the side hustle generation. But according to H&R Block's Outlook on American Life report, millennials are more likely to work multiple jobs compared to other generations. The report examined the info of 20 million tax filers, and it really has more or less given us this information that people have to do side hustles. Like, it's not even just like an enjoyment thing anymore. It's, it's how you pay the bills. What was your first side hustle? My first side hustle was uh, in college. We were funding my short film thesis project by throwing dry dance parties. All right. That's the dry dance parties. Yeah, we went to a Christian school and you're not allowed to drink, smoke, et cetera. So you have to sign a contract not to do it. Wait, really? Yeah. And you're actually not allowed to dance on campus. And so... We threw dance parties off campus and started charging tickets. And so I on feel and so like on. you're just that's that's the synopsis of Footloose, guys. <laughs> you're just, just you're lying now. This is this no. Is, that was my first side hustle. Your first side hustle was a movie. Did it also star Kevin Bacon? <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. <laughs> I that's love funny. that. Um, what was your side first side hustle? When I was ten. I was given the ability to shag softballs. Uh, softballs would go over when people like got like a home run, which you're not supposed to actually do in softball. But if they hit the ball too far, it very big field and no one wanted to go get, go get all the balls. And so I was just the ball boy. Yeah. Anyway, it's a whole thing. Let's get some more information on the table. And then I want to dive the, into yeah. this a little bit more, but, um, you know, a big reason why this is important again is this necessity to have a side hustle. It's hard to keep up with housing prices, inflation, the lack of job security. According to the report, on average, millennials work a full-time job with two additional side hustles. Also, a third of millennials plan on signing up for app-based gig work like Uber or TaskRabbit. So how did we get here? I'd be curious your thoughts. I mean, ultimately, I feel like it went from side hustles being cool a couple of years ago to being a necessity and in a way that's kind of like depressing. Is it though? Your side hustle debatably became, not even debatably, your side hustle became your career. Yes, but it initially it was done out of the joy of doing it, not out of the need to do it. I, I react to this like, is it need or want? I want to have a specific livelihood or I want to have this type of life. So I want to have X amount of dollars to supply for my family. Or so I, if I want children, I want them to have X life. 
So I need to go acquire X amount of money to supply that for them. Yes, I understand where you're coming from. And I think that's true is a lot of the pressure is probably from the sort of passion that the individual has for a lifestyle. But I think what is happening is that this is also being forced onto people who have already arrived at their lifestyle, right? So imagine I am someone who started in college. I've worked my way, way up. I'm making a certain salary. I get hit by COVID, inflation. Like maybe I work in the entertainment industry, strikes. And all of a sudden, my salary is not the same that it was, but I'm still living that life. Do I move home? Do I downgrade? Right. And so I feel like what's happening is people are having to do side hustles just to keep up, like not just to necessarily live within what they want to do or what they're interested in. Jim Carrey has a great quote. You have to be willing to downgrade your life in order to have the life that you want. And I, I truly believe that I, I, I struggle with that. Of course, I, I love the place I'm in. I don't want to downgrade. This just triggers me. This triggers me in a, in a great way. Cause it's a conversation that I deeply want to have. We put so much shame on being fired or losing a job or not having a certain amount of money. Why? It, it, it's this uh, fear of what others think of us and why we are the way we are. I lost my job. Oh no, I am, I'm vulnerable. That's life. That's, that's part of the beauty of life. That's why you have family members. That's why you have friends. That's why you're a part of a community. That's why people come together to help you. And we shouldn't shy away from that. We shouldn't shy away from the idea that, that it, it's okay to be fired. I've been fired twice in my life, maybe three times. And I felt so much shame during it. Uh, I'm going to say this. I was fired from CAA. I'm going to be vulnerable for a moment. I was fired from CAA uh, after nine months. I worked so hard, but I, listen, I, I, I finally got it, but I wasn't the best assistant at the time. I didn't get all of the systems. It was a very hard learning curve. And luckily I had some friends who said to me, Chris, get up off your butt. And I don't regret it. And it made me stronger. I think that's a powerful story. And I think, you know, there, there is a version of people being afraid of loss and why they're picking up several things. And, and I don't think that, I don't think there's a, a wrong or right answer necessarily, but I do think there's real economical pressure yeah. that's forcing people to say, man, like I, this one source of income is not going to cut it. I actually think um, there's a future where a lot of people will be known for their specific skills, their specific quote unquote side hustle. You know, there's a, a really big Silicon Valley dude. His name is Naval Ravikant. I believe that's how you pronounce his name. He founded AngelList and he talks about this where in the future companies will just contract people, maybe even like senior executives specifically for their skill. And everyone's just going to become freelance consultants. And I don't know, seeing this report makes me feel like that future might be closer than, than we might imagine. Anyways, Nike shoes. I believe basically everyone in America has a pair of Nike shoes, but it's no secret that the success of fashion products, including Nike shoes, often depends on supply and demand. 
The more exclusive a product is, the more people want to buy it. In that vein, Nike recently released a pair of sneakers called the Reverse Grinch. A lot of people weren't able to get a pair, and there was an outcry on social media that it was due to the onslaught of bots on Nike's app Sneaker, S-N-K-R. But is it actually bots, or is it all calculated? Because brands actually may not want you to get the shoes that you want to get. It might ruin the exclusivity. Why is that? Well, I mean, I think there's the basic concept of FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. I think it's a psychological thing. We want what we can't have. And I think it's really playing into people's ego. And fashion, I actually think, is maybe the the one industry perpetuating this sort of reality. Um, and we see it majorly in the sneaker industry, right? We saw it with Yeezys and, and, and Kanye. We see it with Nike. It's the, basically the whole reason why companies like StockX exist, right? These resale markets. And so I think these people understand that at the end of the day, we covet, we're jealous, and we want to be seen as cool, respected, loved, and fashion is what we can do that with. The assumption with what's going on is that maybe this was bots, right? So bots are present in really every exclusive fashion drop. Retailers are constantly coming up with new security measures and developers are constantly trying to bypass them. In fact, it happens not just in the fashion industry, but in the music industry with tickets. Sneakers received 12 billion bot attempts per month in 2023 and was successful 98% of the time in combating them. Oh, really? So they're, they're arguing that they actually truly like have figured it out and are able to actually stop it. Yes. And so that's why part of the issue is, well, if it's not the bots, what is it? Well, lo and behold, it's, it's, it's Nike. It's us, <laughs> right? And so there's speculation on, on social media that Nike released 300,000 pairs of the reverse Grinch while there were millions of people trying to buy them. So even if they caught every single bot, there's a low percentage of people who would actually be able to even get the shoe. And so I think this is actually uniquely hilarious that we're all complaining about bots, but it's actually these big brother corporations that are being like, no, we're actually the gatekeepers. In fact, the VP of Nike footwear said in 2021, that release drop numbers were the most debated question they have with their team. And so this really just kind of brings up the idea of, of scarcity and, and fashion and, and everything that we're, we're talking about, honestly, even today. Like, what are we valuing as a society that if Nike is intentionally creating less product than demand, they're tapping into something deep within our ego and ourselves. And it's kind of funny that we're talking about how Gen Z and millennials don't have enough money we're creating all these side hustles, yet at the same time, we want the latest $300 sneaker. And I don't know, I just think that's just something deep and profound that's, that's maybe a little off. Last episode, we talked about marketing. I feel this episode, it's a part two in a way to that, where it's marketing meets the corporate agenda. And so much of what we've talked about is how marketing is getting better and better and better across all, all, all verticals. 
And so we as individuals constantly want everything. It's not a matter of prioritizing what we do or do not want. It, we want everything we're being marketed because it's being sent to us to be so special. You have to have this thing. Taylor Swift has it. You have to, we, so much now more than ever, we want to self-express. We're told to be individuals. We're told to be, figure out how to be ourselves. Who is that? What is that? And yet I can't, only 300,000 people can have that Nike. But, but that Nike is going to help me express and say who I am. I want that. No, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said about being an individual. I would say that I'm, I'm, I fall victim to a lot. Look, look what I'm wearing. I, I'm wearing really nice sunglasses. Like I am literally the byproduct of what is like commercial America saying, you're cool. If you wear these shoes, you're cool. Like I, I am literally eat, breathing and sleeping it. I, I don't want to say I'm a walking paradox, but, uh, so, I love these things. I like these things. I feel yeah. good having these things. But maybe I should have put the amount of money I put into these clothes into my 401k. I think I resonate with everything you're saying. And, you know, man, we could go so deep here. Have you heard the sort of analogy or this thought process that the really wealthy oftentimes aren't wearing the flashiest things? Yeah. But the poor are buying the flashiest things in order to project that they're wealthy. Yeah. And I don't know. I just feel like there's a juxtaposition here in, you know, everything that we've talked about when, um, people are clamoring for these shoes and these resale markets are propagating thousands of dollars for things that are really exclusive and maybe potentially like, yeah, marketing's getting better, but shame on these corporations for preying yes. on this, this really sick downward spiral of our greed. But Nike, if you do want to sponsor us, by all means, sneakers, we're happy to do a collab. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> should we do you know you know what time it is Dude, should, we, should we do the thing it's hot, hot take time, time. <laughs> alright hot take times the that time of the podcast where we Chris and I will give each other our hot takes predict what's happening in the world what's right and wrong and sometimes tease each other if we're we're accurate you haven't teased me yet yeah, that's right. It's because coming. none of your hot it's takes have come true. Oh, oh there it is. Just I'm just kidding. What's your hot take? We're going to Sundance. Mm -hmm. And because of that, I feel like it's apropos to highlight a hot take from Sundance. I am predicting, and with the transition in media, it'll go one of two ways. And I'm going to go super hot with it because I think it'll be fun. And you can poke fun at me if I'm wrong. But then if I'm right... I don't think that there's going to be a sale over $30 million on a movie announced at Sundance. That is interesting. I could see that, but I could also see it booming, right, this yeah. year, especially with studios having been in a little bit of a drought from talent-oriented films. And in fact, I feel like during the strikes, indie content was so big. Right. They were they were skirting around sort of the need to work with big studios by doing these pre-baked deals. And so I, I could see what you're saying, but I could also see the opposite. This could be the biggest year ever. My hot take, this will be Sundance related as well, but mine might take a year to happen. And so for some time, Sundance was known for the New Frontier. The New Frontier is a section in the Sundance Film Festival 
where they would showcase new age technology. In fact, I would argue to say a lot of VR became really popular yeah. because of the Sundance Film Festival. And so I've always seen Sundance as actually a really smart arbiter of innovation. And so my prediction is that Sundance is going to push forward AI-driven film content uh, next year. We'll see it at the festival. Uh, yeah, that, that's cool. That's scary. You think? I do, and it's... it's they get so much backlash from the board. Well, it's unique, right, because they're so pro-filmmaking, but I think they're going to find a way to do it in a safe way and showcase it. And I, think I could we'll see, see Adobe highlight that from, like, their own little separate section. Yeah. Anyways, that's my hot take. Okay. We'll see what's up. Great episode. Thank you all for tuning in. You just listened to The Future Forecast with myself, Boye Coliday, and Chris Sautel. Like and subscribe wherever you get podcasts, rate and review, and we'll catch you next week. The Future Forecast is produced by Wheelhouse DNA for ACAST. Our executive producers are me, Boye Coliday, along with Fanny Baudry, Cassie Berman, and Leah Sutherland. Our audio producer is Chiara Noni. Our audio engineer is Matthew Blocka. Our editor is Nick Kursimi. The podcast is hosted by yours truly, Boye Coliday and Chris Sautel. Thanks for listening and see you next time. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 